Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 3. We continue our little sermon series from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 on apologetics. Apologetics, from the Greek word apologia, which means a defense, a defense of the faith. Look with me to verse 15 in 1 Peter chapter 3. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We titled the first message in this series, Fear-Based Apologetics. Not that we are afraid of our neighbors. In fact, we have to overcome a fear of neighbor in order to be messengers that would inspire in them or bring the message to them in a faithful way that would inspire in them a fear of God. You see, as we proclaim the one true God, holy, 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 as we proclaim God's judgment upon sin, as we proclaim the reality of hell, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. But it's our own fear of our neighbor that silences The message of the one true God, His holiness, His judgment upon sin, the reality of an eternal hell. It's our fear of our fellow man that makes us mute, and it's our love of self that makes us fear our fellow man. Thus, fear-based apologetics, we are to fear God alone. And when we fear God alone, we will cease fearing our neighbor. We are also to love God. First, foremost, always, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, said the Lord Jesus. And we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the second commandment. And in these two commandments, all the law and the prophets are summed up. And so, love of God and love of neighbor should compel us to speak the truth of God. Declare the one true God, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, and call all men everywhere to bend their knee to Him and to confess His Son, Jesus, fully God, fully man, crucified for sinners, buried and resurrected on the third day as their Lord, their God, and their King, and thus their Savior. Fear-based apologetics. A fear-based defense of The faith, when we fear God, we don't fear man. When we love God and love men, we don't fear man. If we have a a fear, it's it's a fear of displeasing our Creator. How dare we be ashamed of God? How dare we be mute and silent about our great God? How dare we be mute and silent when our neighbors are perishing? And so love of God compels us to speak, just like love of our favorite food. Oh, let me introduce you to it. Love of our favorite dessert. Love of our favorite team. Right? We, we wear odd colors. If you're a fan of the Seahawks, you cry out chants. You clap and yell and you put stickers on your car. When your team wins, you drive around honking your horn because you love this team. Where's our love for God? When you 
are really feeling the love for your husband, your wife, you're happy to introduce them. When you're not feeling it so much, yeah, they can drag behind you, which is terrible, of course. Oh, our love of God should compel us to introduce people to Him. Not that they don't know Him, but we tend to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's our nature. And so we, out of love for God and out of fear of God and with love of our neighbor and no fear of our neighbor, proclaim the one true God, fear-based apologetics. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Make Him first in your heart. Let Him rule in your heart. Subjugate yourself beneath Him in your heart. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. He who is holy, holy, holy. The prayer the Lord Jesus taught us, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense. Our second message was titled, Always be ready to give a defense. I confessed plagiarism last time. Always be ready. Always. Why? Because we always love the Lord. Because we always fear the Lord. Because we always love our neighbor. Because we are always full of the Holy Spirit, right? Show your hands. And the first fruit of the Spirit is love. And so we can't help but speak of God because we love Him. We can't help but speak of God to our neighbors who are perishing without God. And so we're always ready to give a defense. Apparently we're not always actually ready. Thus the command to always be ready. That's why it's a command, because we're not always ready. In fact, I think we could probably get more honest hands in the air to say we're not often ready, or more often than not, we're not ready. Always be ready to give a defense. We've talked about the fact that we, we study many things for our profession. We study many things for our hobbies. We study many things for our our favorite sport. You know, just how to get that right swing, whatever the swing might be, or the right shot, or to throw the right blow, or, or make the right move in chess. We apply our minds to many things and discipline our minds, and we'll buffet our bodies. We'll make ourselves sit to learn this, or we'll make ourselves endure whatever this is to to get it right, to get the move right, or to get the process right in some profession, in some craft. But the Lord commands us to always be ready to give a defense, a declaration of the one true God, and a defense because the world is not unbiased. The world is not neutral, and we're not to be either. We are to be decidedly for Christ, decidedly for Christ's gospel, decidedly for our God and His Word. Always ready to give a defense. From the very first verse, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The world says, no, He didn't. The heavens and the earth are a mystery. They're, they're a cosmic accident. It just, poof, happened. And so we have a contention with the world from the very first verse. And we need to be ready to contend. Faithfully, lovingly, truthfully, clearly, dogmatically. Being dogmatic about something means you believe it. And we should be bull dogmatic. 
when it comes to fundamental truths like creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That changes everything. That means we're His creature. He's our creator. We're subject to Him. It means He defines us. We're not self-defined. It means, in fact, He defines everything. He defines good and evil, truth and error, right and wrong. Always be ready to give a defense. We don't get much further into the Bible until we run into Genesis 1.26. God, speaking within the Godhead, said, Let us make man in our image, male and female. He created them. And suddenly we're in this vast argument with our neighbors again, who are assaulting the truth of God. They want to be self-defined. They've rejected the Creator. Therefore, they are self-created which is a lie, of course. They're not self-created. They're still creatures that God created in His image, male and female. But they're going to great lengths to reject their Creator and suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so we need to be always ready to give a defense. We cannot forever be on the retreat, saints. We cannot give up the fight. We certainly cannot join them. We cannot call men, women, and women men. We need to guard our mouths. And our hearts. Do we fear them, therefore we're going to subjugate ourselves to their lies? Or do we fear God, therefore we're going to subjugate ourselves to the truth? Do we love God and love them, therefore we're not going to join them in lies that will harm them and their neighbors? Destroy them and damn their souls? And hear me, we're not just talking about a few individuals who engage this actively by seeking to destroy their bodies. We're talking about a whole culture, a whole culture who suppressed the truth of Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 1.26 and 27. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let us make man in our image, male and female, he created them. Always be ready to give a defense. Are you ready? Or are you running the other way consistently? Day by day. We live in an era where you're going to have to stand up straight with waist gird with truth. Thus, we're not all flabby in the middle, right? Waist gird with truth. Thus, our our innards are protected and it helps us to stand up straight with a spine, a steel spine. We're going to need the shield of faith and feet shod of the preparation of the gospel of peace. We're going to need a helmet of salvation breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God in hand. In hand. Not in a sheath in your trunk where you left it after Sunday, but in your hand, in your heart, in your mind. Always be ready to give a defense. Do you see what we're defending? We don't get past the first verse in the first chapter in the first book. And the world is coming with a flamethrower. The world is coming with With an axe, the world is coming with the lies of the devil to say, oh, no, 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 big bang, oh, no, no, evolution, oh, no, no, self-defined. Always be ready to give a defense. Because the world now is so hostile to God and is so committed to denying the God of truth and truth in totality, it seems like giving a defense is offensive. How offensive is it to give a defense of the faith? How offensive is it to stand up for Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-26 and 27? How offensive? We can't do that. No, we must do that. Out of love of God and love of neighbor. We must do that. We must not go with 
the flow. Always be ready to give a defense. The need has never been greater than the hour we are living in. The Scripture says always be ready to give a defense to everyone, to everyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that's in you. To everyone. Let's pause on that. We covered this last time. We're still really reviewing. But to everyone, red, yellow, black, and white, all sinners in God's holy sight. To everyone, Muslim, Hindu, Roman Catholic, Buddhist, atheist, agnostic, Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, Baha'i, they all need to bend their knee to Christ. Fully God, fully man, crucified, buried, and resurrected on the third day. They have all rejected Him outright or changed who He is and changed the message of His gospel. They've either stripped Him of His deity or they've stripped Him of His tetelestai. It is finished. Or both. Or both. Again, the Roman Catholics say, oh yes to the Bible, and oh yes to Jesus, as rightly understood according to the Pope and the bishops and so forth. And yet they reject the finished work of Christ. They reject the tetelestai, his final word upon the cross. Tetelestai, it is finished. And Rome shows up and says, well, yes, yes, of course. But we have these seven sacraments. And through these seven sacraments, you will work and attain righteousness with the help of the Roman Catholic Church. And therefore, yes, it's finished, um, but you're actually going to finish it. And uh, even if you don't finish it, if you fall a little short, Jesus plus your works, you can borrow, let's say, from Mother Teresa's works or from your local priest's works. Or if you still fall short, you can spend some time in purgatory where you can suffer for your sins. And when you suffer enough there and your sins are expiated, then you can go on to heaven. Of course, what does purgatory and what do all seven of those sacraments do to the tetelestai? It is finished. He bowed his head, gave up his spirit. It says, no, no, it's not finished. And you can either finish it at mass or you can finish it at baptism or you can finish it in the marriage vows and last rites or in purgatory. It's a blasphemy of Christ's finished work. It's, it's also a blasphemy of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. A blasphemy of Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You have been saved by grace, through faith, not of works, a gift of God. It's a gift of God, lest man should boast. If you're saved through seven sacraments, you've got something to boast about. And you can boast over me, because I'm not going to be saved through seven sacraments. Not going to do it. And we're not celebrating a sacrament today. We're celebrating Christ's finished work today. We're remembering in our communion service, we're remembering what Jesus did, what he accomplished. He didn't accomplish a potential redemption, a potential atonement. It's a real atonement. And when he said it is finished upon the cross, because he is eternally God, all those who would come in the future, who will come from that point in the future and that point past, those who are looking ahead to him in faith, and those that will look back to him in faith throughout history, all of those sins were literally atoned for, completely, absolutely, 100% atoned for. It was a real, actual atonement. He really actually took the fullness of the wrath of the Almighty that our sins deserved. He took hell, literally, eternal hell upon that cross. 
in those six hours on that Friday 2,000 years ago. And every system of works righteousness, whether it's the Roman Catholic system of seven sacraments in purgatory, or whether it's Jehovah's Witnesses earning their way to heaven through tract distribution, or whether it's the Mormons earning their way to heaven through marriage and through baptisms for the dead and through door-to-door so-called evangelism. Good news, you too can be a god and a perpetually pregnant goddess. Follow us to the local Mormon temple. Was that not the original sin? Did Satan not want to be like God? Therefore, he was cast out of heaven. Did he not come to the garden and say, if you eat of this, you'll be like God? That is the original sin. And the Mormons say, hey, you can be a God. Good news. And they build big, fancy white temples, and they wear very nice clothes and show up at our doors with nice smiles. And they're the nicest sinners on the planet, as I always tell you. But they are sinners and idolaters. They're idol makers. They make men and women gods, supposedly. And so we must be ready to give a defense. And you're not going to master every false religion. And I don't want you to master every false religion. You should have a basic knowledge of the false religions out there so you can love them. But they'll tell you what their false religion is. They'll tell you what's damning their soul. What do you need to tell them? The truth. You need to tell them Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. You need to tell them the essential truths of God and the gospel, who God is and how God saves sinners. And that needs to be crystal clear in your mind. Thus, you can reject all the systems of works righteousness, whether they're pseudo-Christian cults or, or whether they're totally pagan, they're, they're worshiping Thor or Zeus, or they're worshiping the trees and the stars. You can introduce them to the one true God, the creator of the trees and the stars. Call them to repent of bowing before the All-Father or the plant before them and to believe in the one true God, God, the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone, to everyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. Now, we're, this isn't saying to wait for them to ask. It's saying that it should be very natural to give a defense of the faith because the hope in you is so evident. The hope in you is so abundant. The hope in you is so clear. Your life in Christ, your life built on the rock who is Jesus Christ is so different from the rest of the lives around you, that they're compelled to ask, you know, how is it that you have this, this hope, this joy, this peace? It seems to surpass understanding. How is it? How is it that your family, you know, isn't perfect, but it's in good order? How is it that all of your children aren't drugged into compliance, but actually cheerfully obey? Generally speaking, not judging anyone. How, how is it um, that your wife loves you and you love her and, and you've managed to be married so long? How is it that you come to work in this wretched workplace with joy day after day after day and you manage to get along with and honor this employer or these managers that are jerks? How is it? The hope that is in you comes out in so many ways. 
How is it when, when you got COVID or your, your dear loved one got COVID, you, you didn't lose your mind? How is it that you weren't afraid and you didn't go around cowering for two years from the rest of the world, but you trusted God with your precious life? How is it that you endure the hardships of life that sin has brought, the trials of life that sin has brought upon all of us? How is it that you endure these with joy and peace? Not perfectly, but radically different than the rest of the world. See, the hope that is within us should be evident. It should be evident. I greatly enjoyed my time in the Marine Corps, with punctuated exceptions. (laughs) But overall, I greatly enjoyed my time in the Marine Corps because it was a time of duress. It was a time of hardship, physically, relationally. We were in combat zones. We were in very hot, sandy, uncomfortable places of the world where people want to kill you. And no one's there saying, hey, come to family dinner. Your wife's not there, your kids aren't there, your parents aren't there, your buddies aren't there, unless your buddies have USMC tattooed on their shoulder. And that was a great place for Christ to shine. It was a great place for either genuine Christianity to shine forth, or for the reality that, you know what, um, you're either not walking in the Spirit, or you're not actually born again. You don't have the Spirit. And there were many, tragically, there were many post-Christians, in my experience in the Marine Corps. In other words, they had been professing Christians up until the point they came into the Marine Corps, and now they were post-Christians. They were apostates. They'd fallen away. And that was tragic. And then there, there were a handful, praise God, of stalwart Christians walking in the faith. And then there were various folks somewhere in between. But those who walked in the faith in that darkness and at times debauchery as you went to nations where there is not the societal control that the Western society puts upon us, where prostitution is legal and it's everywhere and where that behavior is expected and encouraged. The men who stood against that, the men who didn't participate in that, the men who found the missionaries or the churches instead of the brothels, they stood out. And as port after port, men rush to the phones and you hear marriages disintegrating around you, finding out that the wives at home had been no more faithful than the Marines deployed. Those Christians stand out. And so many conversations resulted from the hope that is within you. From the stability as you stand, not in your own strength, you stand on the rock of Jesus Christ in the strength of the Holy Spirit, walking in the light of the Word, and by the grace of God, others whose lives are built upon the sand, as the Lord Jesus warned, and when the winds come and the waves come, their life comes crashing down tragically. They see you on the rock and they want to know about the hope that's in you. And that hope is Christ. That hope is to tell us die. It is finished. That hope is the certainty of heaven that's coming. So whatever we're facing now, even this, should this be our last day, our hope is certain. And the worst thing that can happen is death. 
which is the very best thing, ultimately, as we go to be with our Lord. So always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. With meekness and fear. So not with pride. Now, meekness is not weakness. Don't misread it. It's not W-E-K. It's M-E-E-K. Meekness. So not just pride. Yeah, you wretched, unrighteous, filthy sinners, you're getting what's coming to you. You know, if you were like me, you wouldn't be suffering these things. And I, I knew a few believers in the Marine Corps that were of that disposition. Praise God, they have been sanctified. And they were no longer of that disposition. But they were raised in Christian homes. And they didn't realize the grace of God that was upon them from birth. That from their earliest memories, they knew the name of Jesus. They knew the gospel of Jesus. And from a very young age, by the grace of God, they confessed Christ as Lord. And were brought up in the knowledge of the Lord and Holy Scriptures. They were brought up on the hymns of the faith. And therefore, they look out and they see people doing Insane things, because sin is insane. The wage of sin is death. Are you nuts? What are you doing? They see sinners doing insane things and shipwrecking themselves again and again and again on the same rocks over and over and over again. And they think, what are you, stupid? And the answer is, yes, sin makes us stupid. But you know what? We would all be stupid. We would all be fools, the Bible says, if we were left to ourselves. If you were raised in a Christian home by Christian parents who prayed for you, who taught you the faith, who disciplined you and trained you in righteousness, you were raised under profound grace. Thus, let's, as recipients of profound grace, be givers of profound grace. And know that whatever righteousness we have is not ours. It is a gift of God. It is a gift of God. Whatever Strength we have, whatever peace that surpasses understanding, joy that we have that can be, cannot be assailed, cannot be stolen from the events of this world, that, that is a gift of God. It is not innate to us, it's innate to Christ, all glory to Christ. Sola de gloria, all glory to God. And therefore, Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness, with humility and self. Humility and self. But boldness in Christ. Boldness in Christ. We're not meek in the sense of, well, I don't want to say anything bad about Islam. Oh, I do want to say bad things about Islam. I hate Islam because I love Muslims. I hate Islam because it's a lie of the devil. It's an assault against my God and His gospel. It's an assault against the souls of millions, even a billion plus people. Precious women, children, men, bound up under Islamic Sharia law in this life and hell in the life to come as idolaters. Oh, I hate Islam. I'm no friend of Islam. I wouldn't call Islam a beautiful religion. I call it ugly and horrific and misogynistic as it abuses women in this life and in the life to come. 
What, what, what is the Muslim hope of heaven offered to men? Seventy perpetual dark-eyed virgins. What a twisted man-made religion Islam is. And so, no, I'm no friend of Islam. I'm not meek when it comes to dealing with Islam. I'm not meek when it comes to dealing with Catholicism. Catholicism has damned billions of souls, trusting in sacraments, trusting in the hope of, well, purgatory, trusting, as, as Tetzel sold them years ago to build St. Peter's Basilica, those indulgences. Here's a piece of paper. You give me cash, you give me coin, and as soon as that coin rings in the box, a soul will spring to heaven, souls of your lost ones, or your soul. You get a get-out-of-hell insurance policy that I will give you, an indulgence for cash. Yeah, I hate that. Because that's hatred toward those people that perished trusting that piece of paper. So I'm not meek when it comes to exposing idolatry, exposing false religion, exposing false Christ, exposing false gospel that blasphemes the God I love and damns the neighbors I love. I'm not meek at all in that. We're not to be meek in that. To be meek in that is just to be weak. We're to be meek in self. I'm no better than anyone. I'm no better than my Muslim neighbor, my Catholic neighbor, my Jehovah's Witness neighbor. I'm no better than my atheist. I was an atheist. I'm no better than my atheist neighbor. I know what it is to be an atheist. I'm infinitely better off by the grace of God. By the grace of God. He opened my blind eyes. He unstopped my deaf ears. He took my dead heart of stone and replaced it with a heart that beats for Christ and righteousness and truth. And so I'm a sinner saved by grace, made a saint of God, pleading with other sinners, whatever sin they're caught up in, whatever idolatry they're caught up in, whatever hellish system of works righteousness they're caught up in, whatever satanic lies they're caught up under, I'm calling them out to the one true God and His Christ and His gospel, that they might be saved. And I do it with meekness and self, but boldness and conviction in the truth. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Fear of God. This is God's command. Why are we still alive if we're in Christ today? Why are we still in this world to make much of the name of Jesus, that sinners might be saved, to bring glory to our God, sola de gloria, glory to our God alone. We're not here to make much of our profession. We're not here to make much of our hobby, our sport, our team. And to some level, that's all fine. But we tend, if we think about it, all those categories, and we could add a few more, we tend to put more emphasis on glorifying those things than we do on glorifying our God. Always be ready to give a defense. All those places that I mentioned, all those facets of our lives, those are places where we can always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asked you for a reason of the hope that's within you with meekness and fear, because we fear God. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to actually be obedient to the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. We want to make much of Jesus. When you think meekness, 
Think about it like this, with meekness. Meekness in self. If I'm meek in me, I'm free to make much of Jesus. When I'm strong, I can't make much of Jesus. Because I wouldn't want anybody to think I'm an idiot. I wouldn't want anybody to think I'm a misogynist, as they like to throw at Christians. But by the way, everywhere the Bible goes, women prosper. Everywhere the Bible doesn't go, women suffer. So don't ever fall for that. Where there is no Bible, women are treated as sex objects to one level or another. And they're taught to revel in that. Our current society has set women free. Feminism! Free to be sex objects for men's lusts. That's not freedom at all. Free to get pregnant and be driven to an abortion clinic. That's not freedom at all. So don't fall for those lies. But we, with meekness, when we're meek in self, we can make much of Christ. When we're strong, then we tend to make much of self or much of other things that do not matter. When we are fearful in the right sense of God, not in fleeing from Him, but fleeing to Him and honoring Him, sanctifying Him in the heart, fearing God, obeying God, then we are always ready to give a defense to everyone who asks us because we're not fearing men because we're not loving self. We're not strong in self. Well, this is a wonderful verse and powerful truth and we've talked about it quite a bit now. Do you suppose we could find any examples of this in the Bible? Examples of this kind of fear-based apologetic, this readiness to give a defense? I think we can. I think we can. Psalm 119, verse 46. Psalm 119, verse 46 says, I will speak of your testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. I will speak of your testimonies. This is the psalmist speaking to God, saying to God, I will speak of your testimonies, your word before kings and not be ashamed. Kings have all the power. They have all the riches. They have all the influence. If we can speak before kings of God's testimonies and not be ashamed, then we can speak before all. If there's a place where you're silent, a place where you are ashamed to speak, I exhort you, conquer that place. Die to self in that place. Speak of God and His testimonies in that place and be set free in all the rest of the places of your life. In Jeremiah, and we'll, we'll be here for a bit, you might turn there. In Jeremiah, we find that Jeremiah was, by the grace of God, ready to give a defense. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And you might say, well, I'm not a prophet. And I'd say, you're right. (laughs) But you're called to make much of Jesus in the earth. You're called to make much of your God in the earth. You're called to go, therefore, and make disciples. You're called to love your neighbor and call him to repentance and faith in Jesus. Continuing, 
Jeremiah 1 verse 6, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. And we respond much like Jeremiah did to God so very often. We hear the Great Commission, Go therefore and make disciples. And we say, Ah, Lord God, I'm just a spiritual youth. I'm just a spiritual knave. How long have you been a spiritual youth? How long have you been a spiritual knave? How long have you been spiritually ignorant? How long are you willing to be ignorant of God and His gospel, the God you claim to love and the gospel you claim that saved you? How long will you claim to be so ignorant you can't speak? It's a terrible justification of silence. Oh, that God would free us from that. Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. You shall go. You shall speak. You shall speak whatever I command you. We are under the same word. We are to go wherever he says to go. And he says, go to all nations. We are to speak whatever he says to speak. And he says to speak my word. The law which is a tutor to bring men to Christ to be justified by faith, the law, which is perfect, converting the soul, and the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation. We are to speak the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So again, verse 7, But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I have given, I have set this day, or excuse me, see, I have this day set over you the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. And that's essentially an Old Testament Great commission. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations. And I put my words in your mouth. If you know enough of Jesus, if you know enough of the gospel to actually be saved, you know enough to actually call precious sinners to be saved. But don't stop there. By all means, study to show yourself approved. By all means, give the same amount and even more attention to spiritual matters, to the gospel, to the one true God and his revelation of himself in Holy Scripture than you do to the matters of the world that you are interested in. How much time do you spend on the internet? How much time do you spend on Twitter or Facebook or X or whatever it's called now? How much time do you, do you spend on various websites? How much time do you spend on various magazines? How much time do you spend watching TV? How much do you know about actresses and actors and singers and sports and figures and sports teams? And, and how many games can you rattle off the scores of and, and the winning season versus losing seasons of? And on and on it goes. And, and how many facts about how many machines and and how many uh, tools and such can you reiterate from memory? How how many ballistics can you speak to for how many (laughs) types of ammunition? How many weapons do you know the maximum effective range of? How many clubs do you know the maximum effective range of on the golf course? How many courses do you know the exact yardage from the tee to the hole of? There's so many facets of life that we give ourselves to 
enough to gain knowledge. So we can speak with some knowledge to this subject or work in this profession with this knowledge to gain money for our livelihood, which is important and biblical. And yet, to gain heaven for eternity and to gain souls for eternity. Oh yes, this is important. It's of the highest importance. And oh, so biblical. And so don't say I'm a youth. Don't say you don't know. Oh, put my word in your mouth. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Jeremiah 1 verse 16. I will utter my judgments, says God, against them concerning all their wickedness because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, and worshiped the works of their own hands. Therefore prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I commanded you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. Verse 16 and 17 are important. Because you can imagine Jeremiah saying, look, you know, this people, they, they don't want to know about you. They've rejected you. They're not going to like me. They're not going to like my message. Well, God knows all that. And he says, you go and you speak. And praise God, all those whom he's calling to himself, they will come. They will have ears to hear. They will have eyes to see. And if not today, tomorrow, next week, next year, they will come. And that message will be part of what the Lord has used in His sovereignty to bring them. Verse 18, For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. For they will fight against you, and they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. This is not a universal guarantee that we will be delivered by the hand of God if we're in downtown Portland proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a guarantee that if you show up in Mecca and preach Jesus, Son of God, crucified for sinners, crucified for idolaters, worshipers of Allah, repent, turn to the one true God, Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, believe upon Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and resurrected. This is not a guarantee that you will not be ripped to shreds in Mecca that day. But it is a guarantee that the Lord is with you. And should you die while proclaiming the gospel, as Stephen did, the first martyr of the church, he died while proclaiming the gospel. And you recall that the Lord Jesus stood from his throne at the right hand of the Father, to receive Stephen to glory. The Great Commission says, Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. I can imagine Stephen partway through his message thinking this is not going well. The crowd's looking rather hostile today. (laughs) I see them picking up stones. I can imagine even as he didn't seem to hesitate, he seemed to just keep on preaching thinking in his mind, uh, Lord, maybe, maybe I should cut this one short. Maybe I should flee and live to preach another day. And by the way, the Apostle Paul on occasion did just that. That's not necessarily unbiblical. On other occasions, the Apostle Paul stood his ground. 
That day Stephen stood his ground, and I trust it was God's providence that he do so. Here's what we know. The Lord Jesus was with him. And the Bible says he was full of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't full of pride. He wasn't full of error. Oh, you should have eased up. They didn't like the message. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And when they stoned him to death, the Lord Jesus stood at the right hand of the Father from his throne to receive his servant. Do you think the moment that Stephen entered into glory, received by Jesus, who stood at his throne to receive his, his champion gospel warrior, do you think Stephen really regretted, you know, I should have eased up on that message. I should have left off point two. I don't think point two went well. That's kind of went, went sideways. Do you think he was self-critiquing? No. No, I think the angels were rejoicing. All the saints of old were rejoicing. The first New Testament martyr has come into the kingdom and many will follow. Praise God. Now that's not your goal. Martyrdom is not your goal. Faithfulness is your goal. The glory of God and the redemption of sinners is your goal. And you are bulletproof, mob-proof, until that time the Lord says you're not. Your job is secure. Until that time the Lord says it's not. And by the way, the Lord gave you the job. He can take the job with or without you witnessing. (laughs) He can just allow you to make some error, some moral error called sin, or some just true error, but hey, you know what? This is an error we, we can't abide. Out you go. Or just cutbacks, whatever. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh. Don't try to hold back the revelation of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, in order to protect your life, protect your career, protect your relationships. We have seen, some of us that are here today, we saw a wife try to protect her relationship with her husband, so she pulled back on the gospel. And her marriage and family were ripped asunder. It was just heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. And she literally consciously, in the middle of Bible study, out loud before us all, said, oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, so my husband's n- not going to heaven because so, he's not a follower of Jesus? No, he, he's not. And, and this is the message of the Bible. Yes, it is. Well, I, you know, he's not going to like that. That's going to create division. Well, I can't have that. I'm out. I'm out. She considered the cost, this gospel, this narrow path, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. Jesus being the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. That's too narrow. That cuts my husband out. That's going to be offensive. And so I'm out. And tragically, it was, it was several years later, she came back. And what was the result of that, choosing her husband over Jesus and the offense of His gospel? Well, her husband divorced her and took the kids. And she was alone. It's terrible. Tragic. And so don't try to save your marriage by rejecting Jesus or or muting, putting Jesus on mute. Don't try to save your job by putting Jesus on mute. Also, don't wreck your job by being the Jesus guy in the office, but not the hardworking guy in the office. Your Christian work ethic should shine in that office. Your integrity should shine in that office. And they may not like the message of Jesus that you also bring to the office, but they can't afford to fire you. And they respect and love you, even though that message is offensive. And so we look to Jeremiah and we 
learn from him regarding being always ready to give a defense. That the Lord will put his word in our mouth. The Lord calls us to proclaim a message that is going to be at odds with the culture, is going to be at odds with our nation. And Jeremiah's nation in his day was a post-Jewish nation. Oh, but they were the Jews. Yeah, nationally, but not spiritually. They'd rejected Yahweh. And we now live in a post-Christian America, and they've rejected Christ. They've rejected the Word of God. They've rejected truth altogether. And we need to be messengers of that truth, faithful to declare that truth. Well, that's the first life I wanted to look at. We've only looked at half of it, Jeremiah. I'm happy to keep coming back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, and unpacking it from the Scriptures so that we might one day hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because by the grace of God, we had sanctified the Lord in our hearts and always been ready to give a defense to everyone because we love God and we love our neighbors. So we'll come back again to this topic and we will see more example from Jeremiah and others, how to live this out, how to flesh this out in space, time, and matter in our lives, amongst our families, in our communities, in the workplace. There are so many precious examples in Scripture. And so we'll take another run at the hill next time. Let's close this in prayer, and then we will celebrate our communion service together. Father, we thank you for your clear word. We thank you for the privilege we have of being your messengers. We pray, Father, that you might indeed fill us with your spirit, that you might compel us to study to show ourselves approved, Lord, as workers who need no recompense or need not be ashamed. I ask, Father, that you would fill us with your spirit to such a point that we love you and love our neighbor, and that, Father, drives us to study, drives us to think, drives us to consider how we might make your name great in the earth, how we might reach our neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, you continue to equip us in the coming days, Lord, that there be many souls in glory because of the testimony that came from our lips and that you would receive eternal glory in their redemption. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.